Welcome to a Pain in the Glass podcast. This is your host, Bill Shearhart, National Coach with Curling Canada, coming to you from not the shore of Lake Huron this time, but the festival city of Stratford, Ontario, the ancestral lands of the Anishinaabek, Iroquois, Ojibwa, and Chippewa First Nations. A Pain in the Glass podcast is sponsored by Canada Curling Stone. And today's topic comes from the mailbag, the email bag. And it comes from a skip of a highly skilled team in the United States. The email came to me with a concern by the skip of the team in that his release point, the skip's release point, is about a foot or two from the hog line not anywhere close to being concerned about a hogline violation. Unfortunately, his third, who he describes as a very good curler, his release point is just off the top of the house, some several feet from the skip's release point, and that's causing a problem, and the problem is the way rocks track. So that's the topic today. And it's entitled, as you can see, a team technical checkup. When you hear that a curler is going to a coach or instructor for a technical checkup, we assume quite naturally that it's one curler with one instructor or coach. That's the norm. But did your team ever consider a technical checkup? Uh, Let me guess. Uh, That would be a no. Well, your team should, and you should do it regularly. Why? Every shot is a team shot. That's why. Well, now that the sarcasm's out of the way, allow me to explain with a measure of diplomacy by examining one aspect of a technical checkup, release point. If you were to come to me and ask to have uh, me have a look at your delivery, from a release point perspective, I'm really not very concerned about where that release point is. If it's somewhere in the house, I might suggest that in releasing the stone that early, you are not taking advantage of the monitoring of velocity that can occur if the release were somewhere in front of the house. On the other hand, if you're messing with the hog line, by the way, don't do that. Well, it goes without saying, you are playing with fire. For the sake of this example, let's assume your release point is about halfway between the top of the house and the hog line. From an individual perspective, well, that's quite okay. But if I were to learn that you play on a competitive team, I'd want to know the release points of your teammates because the release point is really where a curling shot begins, not at the hack. If a teammate releases the stone at the top of the house and your release point is close to the hog line, those two shots delivered on the same line will track very differently to the point they will come to rest possibly in entirely different locations. Your teammate's shot has about three meters of curling going on before it even gets to the place where you release the stone. And if your two other teammates' release points are somewhere other than the two I just identified, well, you can appreciate the chaos that could and likely result. Hopefully this illustration with one of the five technical checkup points will help you realize that a team technical checkup is a very wise decision. So let's examine the other four. 
Curling is not a complicated game. Trust me. As I've stated on so many occasions, we make it complicated. To make the point, I'm suggesting that as a curler, we make four basic shots. And an argument can be made that it's really only two, but amuse me and go along with four for now. It is my podcast. We're like a golfer with four clubs in the bag. And as any certified golf instructor will tell you, you really only need to learn one swing. The clubs will do the work to create those four shots. For a curler, the shots are, in no particular order, a clockwise downweight shot, downweight meaning a shot that would come to rest in play, a counterclockwise downweight shot, a clockwise upweight shot, and drum roll, a counterclockwise upweight shot. By varying the weights slightly, we morph those four into other types of shots to suit our competitive needs. But again, for the sake of this episode, we'll consider those four. You might think you do, but if you were to have your grip for those four shots visually recorded, you might discover that's not the case. Again, for the sake of this episode, let's assume, for whatever reasons, you have a distinctly different clockwise grip from your counterclockwise grip. If you were to ever watch Russ Howard, for example, you'd see that's exactly what occurs. But if you had won in excess of 100 Briar games, you may also have license to do the same. Well, if you ask Russ, as I did, he'll tell you why the grips are different. But I'm sure along with this, his explanation, he'll tell you that before he altered his grip to suit his particular competitive environment, he learned the basic grip you were taught by a certified instructor. In fact, most of the elite curlers you see on TV did as well. But don't be fooled by the grips you see them currently using. If you had their talent, played at their level, and practiced as much as they do, you might do the same, but learn and use that basic grip. It's been taught to you for good reason. All right, back to you, your team, and your two grips. A teammate has just one grip for both rotations and the different shots, the different weights, but it's different from your two. The team grip total now is three. Your third teammate has two grips, much like yours, but his or hers are based upon rotation, but rather than weight. In other words, that teammate uses one grip for downweight shots and another for upweight shots. And those two grips are both different from you and your teammate with the one grip. The team total now stands at five. The fourth teammate has just one grip, but it's different from the other five. The final team grip total is six. Yikes! Six different grips. And the team wonders why stones don't track the same as they make their way down the ice. Clipping guards, etc. Uh, duh. Do you think six different grips might be the root of that evil? Oh, yeah. Add those six grips to the different release points, and you've got a dog's breakfast in terms of stones tracking. And we're only two-fifths of the way home on this. Next up, stone setup. Where does each player position the stone relative to the hack or hack foot for each of those four shots? Those initial stone setup positions can be all over the map. 
Again, excuse the repetition, but how on earth do you expect stones to track the same if they don't even start from the same place? The last two aspects of a team technical checkup both relate to rotation. Aspect number four is application of rotation. And let's return to you and your three teammates. Your lead for a clockwise rotation starts the gooseneck at 9 o'clock and releases the stone when the gooseneck is at 11 o'clock. The second starts at 11 o'clock and releases at 2 o'clock. The third starts at high noon, 12 o'clock, and releases at the 3 o'clock position. And you, your majesty, that would be the skip, of course, you attended a high-performance camp and remembered that for a clockwise rotation, the gooseneck is placed at 10 o'clock and the stone is released when that gooseneck is at 12 o'clock. Everyone on the team applied a clockwise rotation but did so in four very different ways. Those four stones will likely not track exactly the same. If all that were to happen in concert with differences in release point scripts and stone setup, yikes, what a mess we have. Lastly, and certainly not leastly, I know it's not a word, but again, it's my podcast, we have number of rotations. If everyone on the team applied a different number of rotations, you're on um, thin ice indeed. Now, before you jump to conclusions, I never intended, let me say this, if you have a player who does something different or unusual, and it drives your opposition right around the bend, don't lose that weapon. Therefore, I'm not in any way suggesting that everyone on the team uses one team grip any more than I'm suggesting that everyone releases the stone at the same place, or sets the stone up in the hack at the same place, or applies the rotation in the same manner. Although a case can be made that not only should everyone apply the same number of rotations, which is, of course, the fifth point, that number from release to stop should be on club ice in the two and a half to three range. And, of course, on arena ice, it's more than that. So there are the five aspects of a team technical checkup. When I conduct a team technical checkup, it's for awareness purposes. It's the team that makes the decision to have a team concept in any one of the five areas or any combinations, and therefore ask the skip to compensate for the differences, or you can adopt a total team concept. I might suggest there's a rather highly skilled team in Scotland right now who spent an entire season on examining the five aspects of a team technical checkup and have determined that the team is going to perform much better if they release the rock exactly the same. Well, it's about complexity versus simplicity. In my mind, keep it simple. And if you're not sure, you might want to have your coach have a look at those five aspects with your team. So thank you to my friend in the United States for that question. I hope that your team will get something from this. And I really think you should have a look at those five aspects. I do it with the team in the context of a drill, an on-ice activity. And while they're focusing on that activity, I'm recording all five of those team technical aspects. 
Thank you once again for joining me here today from the Festival City, Stratford, Ontario. Canada Curling Stone, thank you for your sponsorship. Folks, have a great day. Stay safe. And of course, good